0: Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Beiler. And these are crazy and trying and uncertain times that we are living in. I do not want to be um, in a place or provide content that is denying any of those things. Um, But I do want to be able to provide things um, for you and the body to be listening to um, and wrestling with something that can be helpful, even in these times, um, times where you may be afforded more, uh, space to contemplate, to meditate, to think. Um, I know that that's something that's been really laid on, on my heart, um, during this time. So, um, all of that to be said, um, in the last episode, you know, I, I sat down with my good buddy, Matt Dean, um, and I was in Springfield at the time at, uh, at Um I have great friends who are at um to student ministry out of uh, Missouri State University. And I was actually there because I gave a talk at Icthus um, on that Thursday before all this madness kind of broke out over the weekend. Um, so... Uh, I just wanted to share that talk with you guys. Uh now I did, you know, I recorded on like a music stand where my notes were on my phone and then like there's I opened discussion in the middle of it. So like there's people talking, but I, I think the the audio is good enough that you'll clearly understand and hear everything going on. Um, but uh apologize that the it's not as polished as it normally is. Um but I, I really do hope that this this talk is useful and helpful for, for you for you guys uh listening. And uh, the topic is um, is restoration, because that's something that uh, Ictus had been uh, discussing during that time, uh, and specifically, I talk about uh, restoration, and where that comes from for us uh, in the body, and how uh, the question within that of, is it because of our faith, or is it about Jesus' faithfulness? And that's the question I kind of wrestle with throughout the talk, and Um, I am firmly, firmly convinced that our restoration comes from putting our faith in Jesus' faithfulness. And that's what this talks about. Again, uh, I hope that it is uh, insightful and encouraging to you guys listening. If you want to connect with me, um, you can do that through social media. You can um, hit up the Belfast podcast. Uh, on uh, Instagram and Facebook at the Belfast Podcast. You can email at BelfastPodcast at gmail.com. You can go to the website, thebelfastpodcast.com. You can um, get in touch with me personally at Luke underscore Byler 816. That's B-Y-L-E-R 816 on Instagram and Twitter. Facebook is just Luke Byler. So yeah, please everybody stay safe, be wise, and continue to seek out community where you can and how you can. And I just hope that this podcast and this talk especially um, may bring some people freedom and can be um, a conduit through which you can experience uh, restoration. I hope you enjoy King commies, look out! Tell them,
1: look out for my worldview. Cloudy when you sinking got you thinking it's a whirlpool. Caesar in your pockets, you can't see who's in your pockets. But Stevie's in her visions, what? touch your eyes and make the world move. Wifey okay. he bob head ready? and make her curls okay. move. Crown jewel character, and this ain't immortality well, with I,
2: fairy dust. Never land,
0: never I'll just first off, like I love this community, um, very very much, um, and seeing some new faces here is fantastic, and I love it. Um, and I really, really appreciate, um, getting to come and talk to you guys, getting to come and speak. Uh, I know we've been in themes of, uh, mindfulness, restoration and meditation. Um, so I wanted to use, you know, what I want to talk about to fit in that. And I'm going to talk a lot about restoration tonight. Um, that's pretty much my main theme if we're going to frame it inside of stuff, um, for right now. Um, but I also felt that would be disingenuous, to come and talk about something that I had not been thinking about and thinking about a lot and struggling with and wrestling through. Um, So it being inside the theme of restoration, uh, kind of what I wanna focus on within that is where our restoration comes from, uh, what our faith is anchored in, uh, Mm -hmm. and at even the bottom of that question is, is it about our faith or Jesus' faithfulness? So, Keep that question in the back of your minds as we go on. Uh, and I love this because what I've been wrestling with is a lot of things this community's been wrestling with. Um, so I'm gonna, we're gonna start in the beginning. We're gonna start in the couple of stories of Genesis, um, the preface, if you will, um, if you're familiar with Bema, uh, because there's a treasure in there that I found that I have not recovered from. So we'll start there, and we'll go on to the Gospels, and then to um, some practical application. So. Quickly, let's just go through the first couple stories in Genesis. Um, And I'm going to read just this first part here about creation. creation. In the creation story of Genesis, we see a God who creates from his words a good creation. He crowns this creation with two humans who are to share in his creative power to continue on in reigning and ruling as his representatives on earth. But these humans are not robots. God is not interested in having hollow relationships with programmed people. He wants vibrant living beings who sum up the praises of creation and give them back to him and are able to reflect his creativity and sum up the glory of the creation. All of this is to be done by choice, because choice means true love and true trust. And if we remember, what God created in the beginning was good and it was true so why would he not want the same thing out of his creation? And God proves his trueness by a choice, the choice to trust him and his story of creation, as he makes humanity wise in his wisdom and eating from the tree of life. Or humanity can learn from themselves, learn not to say enough to their desire, and eat from the tree of knowing good and bad, and gain wisdom in their own way and in their own eyes instead of trusting God. And Adam and Eve are deceived by the crafty beast called the serpent, and they are told that since they desire it, they should take hold of it, Regardless of what this means about what God had told them to do, they succumb to their desires. They do not know how to say enough to their creative potential, and then humanity falls. After this, we get Cain and Abel, the warring brothers, after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. Those two are from them, and for whatever reason, we don't really know why Cain decides to take a sacrifice to God, Um, and there's speculation about why. but then Abel follows suit, and trouble comes when God likes Cain's offer or God, sorry, God likes Abel's offering and he doesn't like Cain's. And Cain is dejected because he wants to acquire certain things from God and giving him a sacrifice. And God warns Cain to not let his jealousy, his rage, and his spite against his brother control him. And God says, if you don't get this under control, it is going to consume you. And it does when Cain invites his brother into the field and kills him. So sin has not just gone from a person, to a, but to a family. And then it goes on to the whole earth, as we are seeing to be told in the story of the flood. So God mourns that he's made humanity, which is interesting. It doesn't say he's angry. It doesn't say he's vengeful. It says he mourns. But he sees a righteous man named Noah, and he says, I will use him. To, re, to bring back humanity out of destruction. So he does. Noah builds the ark, fits all the animals on it. Don't ask me how, I don't really care why, but we can talk about that story at another point. And, but the point is that Noah is the one that brings humanity out of destruction in the story. And in that, he reconstitutes God's covenant he made with Adam to be fruitful and multiply. But even in this, uh, we, had a, we have a situation when Noah and his sons and there's a misdeed from one of his sons, and, God, and Noah curses his son with a curse that only God used. So Noah does not how to know how to say enough to his destructive power. Much like Adam and Eve did not know how to say enough to their creative power, and Cain did not know how to say enough to his desire to acquire. Then we have this, the story of the Tower of Babel, which is also confusing, because people seem to speak the same language. And they say, like Cain, let's make ourselves great, which is also the lie that the serpent used in the beginning. Why don't you be like God? So the people seem to think the same thing. We're going to build a tower to God. And so God, I guess, in his mercy says, no, I'm going to confuse you to force you to communicate, to force you to understand each other's stories better so that you do not become controlled by your desire to acquire and desire to make yourselves great, but to be actual image bearers of me on earth. Now, those are the first six stories in Genesis. They're chapters one through 11. And if you followed Bema, if, and if you're familiar, you know that each of those stories contains a chiasm. There's mirrors and there's images and there's things that repeat and reflect one another, not just in each story, but those stories together create one giant chiasm. And it's what's at the center of this chiasm that has me really baffled, and I'm still trying to recover. The center of this chiasm is Genesis 5:28 through 29. And it says this, When Lamech had lived 128 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us and the labor and painful toils of our hands, caused by the grounds the Lord has cursed. The center of this set of stories is the birth of a man whose name means he rests, and he's going to be the one who leads creation out of destruction and into rest. The center here is pointing to a person who knows when to say enough to his own creative ability, to his own knowledge, to his own fears and insecurities, his own destructive powers. He is to know how to be like God and know when to stop, to know when to say enough, to be a person of rest. And being this kind of person, he will lead creation out of destruction and into a renewed covenant, a new creation. And the parallels to Jesus here are too vast to be a coincidence. So how can I make that claim? Saying what we see in these verses about Noah, about the center of the first stories in Genesis, being a foreshadowing to someone who is going to provide rest and bring creation out of destruction. Well, let's look at some of the things Jesus said, and it's fascinating. So I'm going to jump through a couple of verses here in the Gospels, most of them Jesus' words. Actually, all of them Jesus' words. This is Luke 4, 16 through 22. Then Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unruling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, or you could say to provide rest, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he roll, the scrolls rolled up and it was handed to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone were fixed on him. And he began by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Come down to Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Remember the verse in Genesis, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son, and he named him Noah, and he's, whose Noah's name means he rests. Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. (laughs) story in Mark, chapter two. Jesus and the paralyzed man, most of you probably know it, right? Jesus is back in town, word spreads, he's teaching. His house is so full that no one can enter the front door. They can't even see him. These four men, they carry their friend there who is paralyzed. And they lower him through the ceiling. And Jesus looks at him and says, "Your sins are forgiven." Which is interesting. And the religious leaders say, "How can he do this? How can he forgive sins? He isn't God." It's blasphemous. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, "Why do you question this? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven?" or to get up and walk. And Jesus goes, but I'm gonna prove to you that I have the power to do both. So he says, pick up your mat and walk. And the man walks out of his house. In these passages, we see Jesus leading the way into the kingdom, bringing down God dwelling among humanity and the changes that come in the wake of that. And if we remember how the story goes, it eventually leads Jesus to the cross the man who had come to bring rest, to bring creation out of destruction, is led back to a tree, and the Messiah hangs on it, offering everybody life. So Jesus brings all this together. As we've seen in Jesus, he also sums up all those things talked about in this first story is about how humanity doesn't have the ability to say enough. In Jesus, we see the ability to say enough to his position and his power unlike Cain, because God considered himself a servant and humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, and like Noah he offers rest, like Adam and Eve he says enough to his creative desire, like Noah he says enough to his destructive desire, or I should say unlike Noah he says enough to his destructive desire, and again he then is on the tree offering everybody life So, what does this mean that Jesus is faithful to fulfill all of those things that we saw weren't able to be fulfilled in the first stories in Genesis? How is Jesus the one that is going to come and save humanity and offer rest? And what does this mean for us? Well, I wanna focus in on a verse, and this is the, I've also been wrestling with this verse a whole, whole lot. And I'm happy because as a community, we've been studying Galatians. And it comes from Galatians 2. Uh, and I'm going to read it in just a couple of different translations. It's Galatians 2.20. Most of you are probably very, very familiar with this verse. Um, I'll read it in the NIV, and then we're going to focus on the second sentence of this verse. In the NIV, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we're going to focus on that last sentence. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the ESV it says this In the life I now live, I live in the flesh uh, in, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the NLT it says, I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then this is the version I, I read that changed it all for me. This is N.T. Wright's translation of the New Testament. And it says, In the life I do still live in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you notice there's something interesting going on here. In those first couple translations, and it's faith is that is this uh, Greek word called pistus, and there's a couple different ways to translate it. It could be faith or faithfulness or trust or hope or, or strength. Um, You could use the image of a rope tied to something um, like the boat. Um, uh, It is the anchor to continue that metaphor. Um, But if you look in these first couple translations, translation, it says, I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by trusting or I live within the faithfulness of the son of God. It is by faith or hope that we get to trust in the faithfulness of Jesus. And it's interesting, because this is Paul's whole point in his argument in Galatians, as we've been looking at, as we've been studying, right? It's that it's not about the law. It's not about keeping the commandments. It's not about being good enough. It's not about having the right cognitive view necessarily. But it's about what Jesus has done, what he did on the cross, what he did in rising, how he fulfills, how he is the faithful human. To do all the things that we could not do, and it is by faith or hope that we walk, crawl, or be carried by our friends to Jesus, because sometimes we need that. But if it's, it's interesting, it's even in that story. But what gives Jesus the power to restore in that story when the paralyzed man his friends? put him down through the roof, right? They tear the ceiling off of his house, which is funny. Um, imagine just, you know, he's Jesus sitting there teaching. And you're, they're like digging in or they're like pulling at the ceiling and this guy just comes down. And what does it say? Jesus looks up and he acknowledges their faith. But listen to me carefully. It's not because of the fact that they had that faith that gives Jesus the power to heal. It's the fact that Jesus is the faithful one that gives him the power to heal. And this has like it's changed like it's changed my life because honestly, it's by faithful, it's by the faithfulness of Jesus. That I now live. It's not because I get a correct cognitive view of Jesus that I'm saved, although that is important and there's a place to to like monitor and to investigate what we think of Jesus. but the fact of the matter is what saves us, what restores us, if you will, if we're going to be truly honest about it. what gives Jesus what gives God the power to restore us is not the fact that we have a correct cognitive view of Jesus. And if you're trying to get 100% correct cognitive view of Jesus, newsflash, it's never going to happen. You understand me? It's never going to happen. Your cognitive view of Jesus is never going to be 100% correct. So if your restoration rests in the fact that you get 100% correct cognitive view of Jesus, forget it. It's not possible. So it isn't. Necessarily, It isn't at the bottom. It isn't the root of the matter. By faith, necessarily, that we are saved. That is a component. But what gives the power, what grants the power, is the faithfulness of Jesus. Are you following me? Okay. Well, this is kind of the hinge moment here. I'm going to go on to some other stuff, but I'd like to get... Some comments, some some thoughts of the community, what do we think? I know I just like threw a fire hose at you guys and um, I would apologize, but I'm not necessarily sorry.
1: <laughs> um, I've got something that might loosely tie back to what, last Thursday when JP spoke? That was a week ago? Yeah. Um, so he talked about Christian meditation and he said that, like, the emphasis or an emphasis of Christian meditation should be, your focus should be external rather than internal. Um, a lot of cultures practice, like, an internal, like, self, like, meditation is focused on the self, but uh, JP argued that Christian meditation, when, like, properly done, should be, that's the way he frames it at least, like it should be like externally focused, like the object of your attention should be on um, Christ and what he did. Um, And so that um, sort of what you're proposing, like in an active way, changes how we think about ourselves and our place in Christianity. It's no longer about my faith, but it's about Christ's faithfulness which is a pretty major distinction. It's no longer how many times I've prayed this week. It's what Christ has done for me and for all of us and for the rest of the people in the world. Um, So I would say that those mindsets, those like frameworks mirror each other, but also like complement one another. And I think that's really, really interesting. I like how you said that like we'll never one hundred percent like know like Christ and all this information and like memorize like everything he said because like the way that he lived his life wasn't around like telling people bits of information or like giving them like a helpful trick or it's like he mm-hmm. loved people through
3: relationships and he loved people through like giving them his time. Would mm-hmm. say something he didn't really have anything to give anyone. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was just there for people. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago and I was talking about like, um, when Christians go through the phase of like, are the scriptures like valid or whole or
2: whatever? Mm-hmm.
3: And the guy was like, well then wait until you get to the question of like whether Jesus Christ actually exists or not. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. My brain's not ready for that. We can't <laughs> do that. I'm going to get sad. I can't process that right now. And like, I think recently something that I've really, needed to remind myself of and be reminded of is like my narrative of Christianity won't always be perfect and I can't always make it the most like pure like I have sometimes I'm like oh, I need to reject all of this culture thing and then my relationship with God will be truly pure and there will be no sort of colonization of my cult and my belief, and be, like everything will somehow like ethically line itself up and it'll all be okay and like sometimes it's nice to just say like okay all these uh, the stars line that'd be really nice but like at the end of the day like I believe that God's real and like Jesus is real and it's okay to just like rest in that and what God did and not have to like convince myself that I need to work out every single intellectual rabbit trail that I have because there's quite a few of them. Especially some like theological podcasts. It never
0: they're never ending. It never They're never ending.
3: I'm always like, ah, time is quiet about this. So like recently just like I've been trying to pray every day, like instead of like my normal conversational prayers just like sit and kind of like meditate on scripture if you will mm-hmm. and like kind of resting in the fact that what Jesus did mm-hmm. and just like that sinfulness has been very nice for my faith Yeah, recently
0: and that's for me. <laughs> good and that's kind of exactly what I'm like trying to get at here is what you said like there's so many things that you wrestle with and I'm not discounting the wrestle of these things I think they're like as you can tell I have been wrestling with these things and I do like, on a daily basis, I'm not discounting the wrestle. I'm not discounting asking questions. I'm not discounting any of that. The point is, and I think what you're getting at, and I love it, is that ultimately, at the end of the day, whether I answer those or not, whether I understand all of it or not, and even whether my faith feels great right now or not,
2: mm-hmm.
0: isn't what saves me.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, are you with me?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I just change your life um <laughs> it's been changing my life man so um does anybody else have comments on that go ahead um
1: so like caveat like this is gonna be nit- Oh, go ahead so like, sorry yeah um you said like so when the guy is like lowered through the ceiling yeah you said like it's not by his faith but like you said like like an w- interesting distinction i think made was like that um jesus was powerful enough because of his faithfulness hmm um, I don't know if I'm like misinterpreting what you're saying, but like to me that like reads that like through like faithfulness Jesus has power. Whereas like I think Jesus has power, period.
0: Yeah. And then yeah.
1: the man can only receive through faithfulness of Jesus. Yeah. If that is just like No,
0: I think, you're, no I think you're on okay. to what I'm saying. Okay. Um Right, because it's because of Jesus being being the only one who's truly faithful, let's put it that way, in yeah. um, all of those things. And that's why I outlined right at the beginning of the stories in Genesis. We see all these ways in which humanity is meant to be faithful, is meant to, to be like God in creation, and yet they fail, they fail, they fail. And Jesus comes in and he, and we'll get to this, but like in Jesus saying like, I've come not to abolish the law, the Torah, right, but to fulfill it. It's not just that he ticks off all the commandments and did all the right things. It's that he is the faithful human. That does all those things, and it's through that power that then he is, does have that ability when he steps on earth. Does that answer? Does that make it more yeah, clear? Yeah,
1: it makes sense. I think, but wording, you were there. The wording kind of threw me off. Yeah, but it makes sense.
0: But you were there. I like, I like what you said more actually. So good. Okay. So um, I, I love, I love this. Okay, fantastic. Um, My next question is like, what is So like, great, like we're starting to grasp this. We're getting like wrestling through this. What does this mean for us? And I don't, I don't just want to be highly philosophical on all of this as I can be, but like, I really want to bring it to the ground for us and say like, really, what does this mean? Um, And really the point is like what we were just talking about, um, because I rest in the fact that Jesus is faithful, it means I can truly rest. Say that again. Because I rest in the fact that Jesus is faithful, it means that I can truly rest. It means that I can truly be restored. And this sets us free. This sets us free. And it sets us free to truly trust the story, to truly trust Jesus, to truly trust his faithfulness. And and trust that as we live our stories individually. Emphasis on individually. And before you say, well, Luke, you're sounding really American and individualistic and non-communal. Let us investigate some stories, some scriptures, some more. I'm doing what they tell you to not do when you, like, teach is, like, jump all over the Bible, but it's exactly what I'm doing. Um, (laughs) um, But I feel like I kind of have to. Okay, so let's go through some some stories here about how, what does it mean to be set free to trust in the faithfulness of Jesus as we live our stories? This is Jesus in the garden post-resurrection. The women have come to the tomb, and they find no body. And Mary's there, and she's crying. She's distraught. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asks her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Interesting point, but I'm not gonna talk about that tonight. Sir, she said, if you have taken him, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned out and cried, Rabbi. Jesus and Peter on the beach. So again, another post-resurrection story. Jesus has come. Jesus has, again, I think it's interesting. In these stories, Jesus has fulfilled all that he has said. He has hung on the tree offering everybody life and he has risen, punctuating that life that he can now give to everybody else. So Jesus calls Mary's name in the garden And she recognizes him. And Jesus and Peter are on the beach. And it's funny, because in the beginning of the story, they're like, go out and they fish again, right? Because what else do they know? They're fishermen. And they're like, distraught, like, what do we do? Jesus is dead. And Jesus, I think, not unironically, stands on the shore and says, cast your nets to the other side, calling back to the first time he met them. And they load a bunch of fish onto the boat, and they bring it up, and Jesus has breakfast, ready to go. And Jesus walks down the beach with Peter, again, after Peter had denied him three times, like Jesus told him he would. And he emphatically said, no, I won't. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. And Jesus' response is, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter, they're having this conversation and Peter turns around behind him and he sees John. And Peter asks him, Jesus, what about John? What are you going to do with John? We've just had this whole conversation about what I'm going to do, about me feeding your sheep. But what are you going to do with John? And Jesus replies, and this is fascinating. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? Again, Peter, don't worry about John. I will do what I want with him. What is it to you what I'm going to do with John? As for you, follow me. So Jesus calls Mary's name in the garden. Jesus tells Peter, don't worry about John. You follow me. You feed my sheep. And to end here. Okay, this gets me every time. I want to read a short passage here. It's from uh, the book, The Horse and His Boy. Some of you have probably read it. Actually, I'm curious. Raise your hands if you've read Narnia or you've read The Horse and His Boy. Okay. So a number of you in the room. It makes me happy. Um, it's on my list. <laughs>
3: so you haven't read it?
0: No, I haven't. But I've read this. I've read. So I'm oh outing. Boy, I'm boy, outing. The best, Narnia. I, I've heard it. So from this passage, I would believe that. So I'm outing myself right now. But... This passage is still very very powerful. Um, so I I mean this might be weird, but if you want to, uh, feel free to like close your eyes and like picture it as I read this scene to you. Um, and we'll go here. This is uh, Shasta and Aslan. Shasta is traveling through the desert, and uh, Aslan comes up next to him. It says, um, "Speaking of Shasta, and being very tired and having nothing inside him." He felt so sorry for himself that tears rolled down his cheeks. What put a stop to all this was a sudden fright. Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark and he could see nothing and the thing or person was going so quietly that he could hardly hear any footfalls. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a very large scale and Sasha got the impression that it was a very large creature creature and he had come to notice this breathing so gradually that he had really no idea how long it had been there. It was a horrible shock. If the horse had been any good, or if he had known how to get any good out of the horse, he would have risked everything on a breakaway and a wild gallop, but he knew he couldn't make that horse gallop. So he went on at a walking pace, and the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him. At least he could, at last, he could bear it no longer. Who who are you? he said scarcely above a whisper
2: Mm.
0: one who has waited long for you to speak said the thing it was a voice and it was not loud but it was very large and deep are you are you a giant said Shasta Mm. you might call me a giant said the large voice but I'm not like the creatures you call giants I, I, I can't see you at all said Shasta after staring very hard once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Sasta was a little reassured by the breath. So he told how he had never known his real father or mother and had been brought up sternly by the fishermen And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and and of all their dangers in Tashban and about his night among the tombs and how the beast howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded Aravis and also how long it was since he had had anything to eat." am the most unfortunate man who's ever lived. "'I do not call you unfortunate,' said the very large voice. "'Do you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions?' said Shasta. "'There was only one lion,' said the voice. "'What on earth do you mean? I just told you there were at least two the first night and there was only one, but he was swift of foot. "'How do you know I was the lion?' And Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing. The voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join with the Ravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the house of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horse new strength of fear for the last mile that you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at night to receive you. Then then it was you who wounded Aravis. It was I. But for what, child? said the voice. I am telling your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. At the bottom of this, when it's all said and done, we trust. And we are set free because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Not because we have 100% cognitive view of Jesus. Not because we have perfect faith in Jesus. Not because we know everything that's happening. Not because we wrap our minds around all that's gone on around us. But we trust that Jesus is faithful, was faithful, and will be faithful. We are set free to trust the story. We are set free to trust our stories. And here, here, and I I don't want to... I don't want to underemphasize this. <sighs> we are set free to trust, and we do this in the best way possible. We trust that Jesus will walk with us in our stories, and that he will equally walk with the rest of the individuals in the body through their stories. <clears throat> and here's the kicker we trust that he will walk with us. And walk with everybody else. And we trust that he will walk with everybody else. Everybody else that we care about. Everybody else that we've cried about. Everybody else that we love. Everybody else that we... Uh, hate now, but we used to love everybody that we're concerned about, everybody that we cry over, everybody that we rejoice over. We trust that He will walk with them in the same way that He walks with us. We trust that He will be faithful with them in the same way that He's faithful with us. Whether we, here's the point, whether we are there to see how all the pieces fit together or not. You understand? Follow me. And I've lived this. I've had, oh man, I've had people I've cried over, people I've mourned over, people that breaks my heart, people that I wish I could say, I wanna know how it all works out for you. I wish I was there. That ex, that brother, the mother, the sister, the long lost aunt or uncle, the mom or dad, that you are fearful over, that you cry over, that you are are just at a loss for how is it going to work out for them. I wish I would be around to see it all. Well, if he's going to walk with you and he's faithful and you trust his story to walk with you, you have to trust, you have to, have to, and this is why we're set free. We have to then trust that he will walk with all of them in the same way whether we are there to see it, see how all the pieces fit together or not. That's, that's really all I have. So thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy.
3: Thank you. Yes. know what they own, what they and ain't got the time. Listen, they always mean well. They always say there's more to it. Look at the details. They always say they going through it. Life is a female. Dog, that would be me. She said, let's go to Hong Kong. But I'm only 18. Ain't got money for Hong Kong. If she'd have asked me last year, I'd have been long gone. Shit,
2: cause we all dogs. And I hope we all.